Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And God was warning them. This, these are the things you got to look forward to. These are the things you got to be careful of because the people that you're going in to dispossess are pagan idolaters. They're wicked people. In fact, the Bible says that God you know, allowed the children of Israel to be in Egypt for 430 years because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And the idea behind that is God was giving, he was accomplishing a lot in a bunch of different people's lives all at once. And that's just the way God is. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ. Today, Pastor Rob begins our study in chapter 22 of the book of Deuteronomy. This chapter is a continuation of God's rules and laws to the nation of Israel prior to their entrance into the promised land. Because our God is omniscient and omnipresent, he is able to accomplish many things at once. He is presently setting up rules and laws for Israel and will use Israel to bring judgment upon those who possessed the land at that time. God continues to warn the nation of Israel of the sinful nature of the pagans that they will be facing. And these rules and laws will assist them in deterring them from sin against their God. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. Father, we thank you for, uh, again, this time together, Lord. We pray that you would just speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we could open up to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Last week we went through chapter 21, and we looked at the laws concerning unsolved murder. And, 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 and right now, in these in last week and, and this week, there, there's... We're going to be looking at various laws that God has put into place. And again, I love the fact that God, he doesn't leave it up to us to make up our own rules. He gives us the rules. And this is before, remember, before Israel requested a king. And so really this was a theocracy, meaning that God was in complete control. He told the Israelites what to do and how to go about it. They didn't have to have a big meeting and you know decide for these things. They just had to listen to what God had to say. And God uh, made sure that these things were written down for them because he was going to rule them. And he was going to tell them, things about life and, 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 and warnings about the place that they were going into. Remember, this group of people is the second or the next generation. After that first generation had passed away in the desert, after they came out of Egypt, they passed away in their unbelief. But now Moses is right on the cusp of the Jordan River on the east side, and they're getting ready to take possession of the promised land and begin that campaign all throughout. And God was warning them. This, these are the things you got to look forward to. These are the things you got to be careful of because the people that you're going in to dispossess are pagan idolaters. They're wicked people. In fact, the Bible says that God you know, allowed the children of Israel 
to be in Egypt for 430 years because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And the idea behind that is God was giving, he was accomplishing a lot in a bunch of different people's lives all at once. And that's just the way God is. He's allowing his, his, his people to, to, to get to a place where they're crying out to him finally in, in, in desperation for their bondage that they're in. And there's also a group of people over there on the west coast of the Mediterranean there and what we now know as Israel, other, uh, previously called Canaan. And they were a wicked people. And God gave them hundreds of years to turn from their sin. Their iniquity wasn't yet full. In other words, God gave them a time. He gave them a space to repent. And isn't that scary? Isn't that wonderful, but yet very scary? Because we don't know how long that time is. You know, for nations, he may give a couple hundred years. And for individuals, we don't know how long that time is. You know, it's individual to God's relationship with you. It's a mystery to me. It's not a cookie-cutter thing. And I love that about God, that his, everything that he is to you and me personally is very individual. It's, it's an individual package thing. <laughs> and it's something, it's a relationship. He wants to have the relationship with you. And so be encouraged by that and love him for the great wonder of that because he doesn't deal with us the same way. He may deal with you a certain way and to you a different way. And in different circumstances, he gives a little more time and a little bit less time for you because you know better. But you don't, so he gives you a little more time because you really haven't heard it, maybe. See, God knows all these things, and that's how wonderful he is. And so we're going to look at miscellaneous laws. And so let's just look at the first uh, part of this. In chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, it says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. And then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same thing with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found. You shall not, or you shall do likewise, excuse me, and you must not hide yourself. Notice that. You must not hide yourself, and I love that. You shall see your, um, you shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up. Isn't that interesting? I love that. It, then we, that means we become our brother's keeper then, doesn't it? And God doesn't want you to hide when you see stuff like that, even if it's your enemy. And sometimes enemies can be won over to be friends when you see them in a difficult spot and instead of going, well, you got what you deserved. It's even biblical, you know. God knows your day and he sees your day is coming, right? There's a scripture about that. But that's up to God. Until he does something, we better respond in love, right? Because sometimes if we respond in a kind way to someone that doesn't like us, or maybe we don't even like them so much, we can earn a friend. We can earn a, a truce. We can have peace. And God is all about that. And we should be peacemakers, right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? And that's what we need to be. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says something a little different. This verse seems a little out of place. It seems like it should be over in the section beginning in verse 13 where it talks about laws of sexual morality. But he says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, and you shall not put on a woman's garment, for all who do such are an abomination to the Lord your God. 
And if a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. And when you build a new house, then you shall make a parapet for your roof. A parapet. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a pet that goes alongside of you. I'm just kidding. A parapet is like a, like a wall or some kind of embankment around the edge of your house so that people don't fall off. So you should build a parapet for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your own vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts such as wool and linen mixed together. And you shall, you shall make tassels on the four corners of your clothing which you cover yourself. And so let's stop right there and let's go right back to the beginning again. Because he says you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. It's very typical for us when maybe you're going along. And this happens to me quite often where um, I'll say in the, begin- in the morning, I'll say, Lord, use my life however you want today. And the Lord goes, okay. <laughs> and then I go about my day, and I see something that I could actually help in along the road, maybe. You know, we, you know there could be a, a woman who has a flat tire, and you can see she's exasperated. She's probably wearing some kind of nice gown or something like that, and you're like, you know, I could just stop and change the tire. Ah, she's probably got AAA. She's got a cell phone. Her husband will come and do it, right? So you just keep going. And you miss an opportunity to serve Christ by ministering to her. And so he says, don't hide yourself from them. I mean, obviously we have to be led by the Lord in all of these situations. It doesn't mean that you have to fill every need, because Jesus didn't fill every single need before him. But I'm not Jesus, and I have to be uh, prayerful and ask him, Lord, is this something I should do? And you may get down the road about a quarter of a mile and decide, you know, you get the urging, I'm going to turn around and go help that lady, you know. And then you just be obedient, and then you watch what happens. And sometimes you're amazed at the cool things that the Lord allows. So that's something that we ought to do. But he says, hide not yourself from them, and you shall certainly bring them back to your brother if, if you see your brother's ox or a sheep going astray. Verse 2, and he says, and if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it, and then you shall restore it to him. Notice, you take care of it until you find out who it belongs to. So you just, you, you, and, and that's a, a sacrifice too, right? Because if it's an ox or a donkey or something like that, guess what? That thing's got to eat, and that's going to come out of your own supplies, right? But in doing that, you glorify God and you bless the stranger. You bless the brother or sister who that has happened to. And can you imagine how that would make you feel if somebody did that for you? Verse 3 says, You shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, except for that money clip full of $100 bills. Oh, is that in there? No, it's not in there. That's in the Rob Kellogg version of the Bible. It's not very inspired. Uh, (laughs) But he says, With any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. Notice again, you must not hide yourself. Don't hide yourself. And it's easy in our culture because we're so busy, because we're so filled with everything. You know, there's so many things demanding our time. You find it's true some days you feel like there's not one thing I could etch into this day any different. You know, if that is your life, chances are 
I think I have the grace of God to say this. You're probably too busy. Is your life so busy that God can't intervene without you getting angry and frustrated and, 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 and totally destroying your life? Is, your life, is there enough space in your life where God can intervene? I really want to encourage everyone, including myself, because we can all be very busy, to really seek ways to unbusy yourself. It's not, you're not going to get any support from it from the culture. You're not going to get any support from it from the church even. Or even family members or friends, they're going to think, what, you know, because laziness is what we don't want to hear. None of us want to be labeled as lazy or complacent. But notice when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was cumbered about with much serving, she tried to get Jesus to, hey, tell my sister to get off her, you know, rear end and help me, Lord. And he's like, Martha... Your sister's chosen the right thing, the good part, and it won't be taken away from her. In other words, she's doing exactly what she should be doing. It's okay that you're serving, Martha. You and I will have some time later, and you're serving me if your heart is right, but your sister is doing the right thing, and it won't be taken away from her. But, you know, sometimes we, we fill our lives, we fill our calendars. Unbusy yourselves, folks. Take your social media and delete your accounts. I would encourage you, delete Facebook. Delete Twitter, delete Instagram, delete all those little things that pop up on your screen that demand your attention, even while you're driving. And we say, oh, I'd never do that. But you find yourself at traffic lights texting and then somebody honking a horn because you're taking too long. We're too busy. And these things are ruining our lives. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think that our, our, our culture is being completely ruined we spend more time in front of these things than we do interacting with each other. And it's true in my own house. I hate to say it. We're making measures. We're trying to make measures to unbusy and undo these things. But really consider what I'm saying. 20 years ago, things were quite a bit different. And now everybody hates each other more and more. And do you think the social media has actually helped us? I'll get off that platform now. So think about that. In verse 4, he says, You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road, notice, and again, hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him or help lift them up again, right? And, I, and again, we are our brother's keeper. Isn't that what happened in, in Genesis chapter 4? If you remember that Cain and Abel brought an offering before the Lord, and Abel brought a, a blood sacrifice of a lamb, and, a, and Cain brought an offering, a, a big, big, beautiful fruit basket from Kittleburger. It had the meat and the cheese and all the stuff in it, and it was all tied a little nice little bow on top with a plastic cellophane over it and some baby's breath. It was gorgeous. You know, and those nice summer sausage link thingies about that big around, and the crackers and the jam and a little spoon to help. And he brings that, and God says... Sorry, Cain, I can't accept that. But your brother's sacrifice, it's a blood sacrifice. That ugly thing, that grotesque thing, writhing on the altar, convulsing, blood gushing out of it, that I will accept. But I can't accept your fruit basket. And Cain got angry, you remember, and he killed his brother out in the field. And one day the Lord spoke to him and he said, uh, Where is your brother where is Abel your brother, Cain? <laughs> and he said, and I can almost hear the smartness in his voice, and I love the grace of God, because <laughs> Cain says, how do I know? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You can almost hear it in his voice. 
and to think that you're speaking to a holy God and to think that God could have killed Cain there on the spot and would have been justified. But in his grace, he allows him to live. He even puts a mark on him so that he's not killed by other, and he's a vagabond throughout the earth. He's still alive. He still gets to live. And God put, places a mark on him in his grace so that he won't be avenged upon. But he says, am I my brother's keeper? But yes, we are. We are our brother's keeper. When something goes wrong and we're, we see it, we ought to be willing or able to help. In the world, it's finders keepers, losers weepers. Isn't that the adage that we use? If you find something along the way. I mean, there's certain times where you can't help it. I mean, if you're in the parking lot of Wegmans and you find a $20 bill lying there and you take it inside and you tell the uh, customer service, uh, this was dropped, does this belong? Yeah, it belongs to me. Yeah, it belongs to me. Oh, really? Whose face is on the front? <laughs> what color is it? What's... <laughs> that's right well this one says in gold we trust no I'm only kidding So, but in the world it's finders keepers losers weepers but in the, in, the, in the church this ought not to be in Philippians Paul said this he said let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself and look not on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we are our brother's keeper. And we, we know this to be true, and it's the golden rule, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said, Whatever you want men to do to you, you do to them also. If you want somebody to find your belonging and bring it, I remember my daughter lost a, um, I think it's okay for me to say this. She's not here, but it doesn't embarrass her. But she, she left something in the bathroom at Wegmans. It was something pretty valuable to her. She left it there on accident or by accident. And we go shopping and we um, get home. And she's like, you know, she's looking for it and she lost it. And so we go back to the store and go up to the customer service and we describe what it is. And they said, oh, yeah, somebody returned it. Here it is. It was pretty valuable. And it was valuable to her especially. And I thought to myself, it's nice to live in Penfield. (laughs) You know, that was a really kind thing. And, you know, somebody did that. Somebody did that. And that's the way we ought to think, too. In Matthew chapter 22, you remember the scribes and the Pharisees. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, meaning you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is, isn't it? In fact, Jesus said those two commandments can really, all, all the prophets, all the it's all framed on the Ten Commandments, all the commandments of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things, if you do those, and I love the way even the Ten Commandments are broken out. Tablet 1 speaks about our, uh, our relationship with God. Tablet 2 speaks about our relationship with man, and that's exactly the way Jesus pronounced it. Love the Lord your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if God feels this way about animals... If he feels this way about helping your brother, if he found a, you know, to, if his donkey has fallen in the pit and you're you're there and you see it, you can actually help him bring it out. You know, if he feels this way about animals, how much more does he care about people? We know that he does. You remember the 
parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, the man's going along Jericho, and he sees this uh, man who's been beaten up pretty bad. And a priest goes by, walks right past him. A Levite walks right past him. And then a Samaritan comes by, and he sees the man there, nearly dead. And what does he do? He looks at his watch and says, my, I'm late for lunch. And he takes off. No, he doesn't. He comes back. He takes care of the man. He picks him up, puts him on his own donkey or whatever animal he was riding, takes him to an inn nearby and tells the owner of the inn, take care of this man. Here's a a good chunk of change to help him until he's better. And whatever else remains when I come back again, I'll pay you that. And this man was a Samaritan, a person who was hated by the Jews. Remember, if you look at a map of Israel, there was Galilee, there was Samaria, and then there was Judea. And whenever the Jews went from Judea up to Galilee, they'd never go straight through Samaria because it was, you know, they, they were half-breeds. That's the way they thought of them. They were unclean people. So they would go around on the west or the, on the east side of the Jordan and come up and then cross over in this place called Perea. They would do that instead of going straight through. But this man was a Samaritan a man who was looked down upon, and yet he's the one who exchanged this great love, this benevolence, really, taking care of the stranger. And so God cares about this. You know, I love what James says. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. The things that I do will show that my faith is genuine. Because we can talk a good talk all we want, but until that talk gets grounded on the feet and actually something doing, doing something about it. That's all it is, is just hot air coming out of our mouth. And so that's what God wants to, to do in us, to let our faith be such that it comes out of us, right? He causes us first to will and then to do of his good pleasure. He first makes us willing to do it, and then he gives us the grace to actually go follow through with it. And isn't that wonderful? That God, even if your heart right now is cold and indifferent and uncaring about a specific thing, maybe some form of ministry, maybe there's, you know, you may not feel, God may not call you to, you know, the Amazon rainforest to minister to a, a tribe that's never heard English or seen a white man. You may not be called to do that. And it may scare you to death and think, Lord, that's the last thing I'd want to do. Well, you know what? Don't worry about it then. You just continue to pray and ask God to change you in whatever way he wants to change you. And if it's his heart to use you, I know this, he will change your heart. And somewhere along the line, it may take five years, it may take ten years, he can work in your heart to where you're like, you know what, I am so ready to go that no one's going to be able to stop me from going. Because you're going to have such a love and a compassion for those people that you're going to go if you have to hold on to the wing of the plane and you don't have a ticket. That's the way it works. He causes you to will and then to do. So if you don't have a will to do that, it may be that he's not going to call you to do that. But just be open to whatever he has. In verse 5, he goes on, he says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man. And this is where it gets a little dicey here, okay, because this is a, a difficult thing. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all who do such are an abomination to the Lord our God. Notice that. That verse right there would send the social media people crazy. 
you would immediately be hated just by throwing that verse up there. Not that you would do that, because that would be probably without in context and everything. It would, might be a little cold. But these are the kind of things that God tells us. He tells us the truth, and we ought not to do that. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.